1: Good morning, good morning, and welcome back to Sunday Civics. I'm your host, your civics teacher and neighborhood political strategist, L. Joy Williams. I'm so happy that you made it to class this morning. I have been wanting to talk to our next guest for a while, not just because of the title that she holds but she has a very interesting you know background that's a bit different from mine she comes from a different part of the country and i love talking to people that may have similar backgrounds in terms of family dynamics in terms of working in politics but are also from different parts of the country because as you know particularly in news and media things can be heavily new york or california coast centric like everybody either lives on those coasts and like there's nobody else a- at all but if you know black people black people are everywhere and i am looking forward to having a conversation with LaFonza butler who is the president of emily's list she is definitely a leader in democratic politics and campaign strategy she also has about two decades in the labor movement and so she has a wealth of experience That I think we can benefit from this conversation of where we are in this country right now, what's at stake and what we could take advantage of, the opportunities that we can take advantage of. Because, again, I want folks to not just think about the deficit, what we're losing and what we don't have, but also think about the opportunities that exist before us and what we need to organize and get together in order to make sure that our communities and our people are whole. So I want to welcome to the front of the class, the president of Emily's List, LaFonza Butler. Hey, LaFronza.
0: Well, hey, Eljoy. Thank you for having me and welcoming me to the lectern. <laughs> I am excited to be here. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for opening up and sort of making yourself available to be here. I really, really appreciate it. We. We share some things in terms of our background and things of that nature. And then also our commitment to electing women all across the country. You at Emily's List, um, among other things, because you did that before, you know, before Emily's List and me at Higher Heights and focusing on Black women. So sometimes, you know, we cross the women that we are supporting across the country. So I appreciate you coming to the front of the class. And so, as I told you, we start where we ask every guest to start by you telling us the story of your first civic action, and when I told you that, I saw your I saw your eyes go up and roll back to the head, trying to remember that moment.
0: You know, I, I, it's not a question that I often get, and so it's not something that I that I often think about. But but I am I'm pleased to actually be asked to reflect back in my mind because I find that the the times that we get to reflect on those moments that were so influential. In our of our moments of the past that were so influential to our future, we sometimes forget. And for me, I remember going with my uncle to to vote. He took me. I was a young kid and I knew my parents voted and I, I knew how important you know it was. And, you know, I, my dad had spent a lot of time with the local NAACP in Mississippi helping to register voters. But I remember very clearly my uncle, who was like a second father to me in Jackson, Mississippi, took me to what was then the Jackson Mall to, to cast a ballot for the first time. And it stands out in my mind. My, my, I always think about my uncle in the context of Medgar Evers. He lived, before he passed away, he lived in the same neighborhood in which Medgar Evers was assassinated. And it was always an important part of our family's sort of history and orientation around civic participation and the sacrifice that so many people went through for us to have the right to vote. And my Uncle Bernard took me to the Jackson Mall when there were still paper ballots and there and, and, you know, pencils and the little booth where he sort of closed the curtain and I could barely see the ballot. I was barely tall enough to be able to see the ballot. But he told me everything that he was that he was doing. And I just remember that. I recall that so quickly and so fondly and as you pose the question, thinking about what that meant for for my life's trajectory moving moving forward. My uncle was a math teacher in in Jackson Public Schools. And He always thought about math and the role of math in the lives of young Black students that he taught as a a tool to learn life. And he, you know, associated math and voting and math and, you know, who wins elections and the decisions that they make on our lives. He, you know, used math to teach gardening. It was the sort of crux of, you know, he, he was always that one plus one equals two kind of guy. And, you know, it was always LaFonza. If we do our part as voters, we have to make sure that we are electing leaders who will do their part. The one plus one that will equal two in terms of the creation of a, of a government that really does serve its people. So I appreciate very much the question. And it gave me an opportunity to shout out my Uncle Bernard, who was so formative for me.
1: Shout out to Uncle Bernard's in our lives for being able to show us that. And I could just imagine sort of applying math, you know, you know, as a strategist, right? We got to do that (laughs) from a voting standpoint. The math Um, has to work. The math has to work. My husband teases me all the time because in some aspects of math, I like have a problem. And he's like, how is it? that you can tell me what the estimated turnout and percentage of like election is, but you can't work out your budget at Ikea. I need to understand <laughs> how these things do not work.
0: <laughs> because it's the math that we want to do, not the math that we have to do. <laughs>
1: exactly. This is the reason why I can give you that from there. <laughs> Speaking of math, I want to stay in your roots for a minute because, you know, I'm working and, you know, as you know, as a strategist, you spend a lot of time in research and data. And I am walking my NAACP membership through how to develop an organizing plan, right? Mm -hmm. Like every single one of them, not just our executive committee, but my whole close to 700 membership. I am walking them through the process of how we create, you know, goals and tactics and everything so that, you know, we have a full buy-in into the work that we are doing in Brooklyn. And I'm also thinking about across the country, I said this in the upfront, like, how can we maximize upon our opportunities and experiences? And while we are also fighting back against the white lash that is happening across the country, you know, also how do we double down in the opportunities and look at what data and information tells us to, to, to work in that. And so looking at the census numbers and economic numbers and things like that, right? The highest percentage of black people is the state with the highest percentage of black people is your home state of Mississippi. Right? Is close to 40% of the population in Mississippi. But I'm sure you can go down the line on how that is not equitable in terms of political power, economic power, and things like that in your beloved home state. In hearing the opportunity that exists and knowing, having lived and, you know, loved in Mississippi, you know, what are some of the opportunities that exist in, say, a Mississippi, Louisiana, Georgia, not only from a political standpoint, but also just a community wholeness stand mm. from
0: community wholeness. That is that's such a good and big question. I yeah, you know, I'm sure as listeners will come to appreciate. I was raised in born and raised in a small town in Mississippi, Magnolia, Mississippi. I went to college. Yeah, at a historically black college in Mississippi, Jackson State University. Lots of folks talk about it today in the context of Coach Dion Sanders and his depart, his his both success as well as departure from coaching football at Jackson State. Shout out to to those fellow Tigers, JSU. The I love. Here's the 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 opportunity. I think about in. States like in Mississippi and states like it, who are similar, similarly situated, but the the population of black voters that are in that exist in states across the South is indeed a rich opportunity. The opportunity that also exists is the um, migration of other communities also into. States like Mississippi and across the South, some of the fat, one of the fastest growing populations in the state of georgia are Latinos. There was a Asian woman named you know b Wynn who who replaced Stacey Abrams in the Georgia state state legislature. The Dobbs case on abortion and reproductive freedom emanates from Mississippi and was adjudicated at the lower court level by. A judge who hails from Jackson State University the opportunity to really build coalition that is the tradition of of resistance and protest across the south in states like mississippi i think has never been stronger there are so i think there's a richness in our ability to really lock arms with those who are also being minimized and who may also be being left out and frankly, who have been left behind by our government in so many ways, whether we're talking about agricultural workers or domestic workers, those of those workers who have been the backbone of the economy of states that like the ones we're talking about, but were intentionally excluded from laws like the National Labor Relations Act. The opportunity for us to really lock arms I think it has has it is at its highest point since the civil rights movement. It was both Martin Luther King and Cesar Chavez, who, along with native leaders, at the start of the Poor People's Campaign, who really I think created a fantastic example for what is possible when communities do take the opportunity to come together. There are the, some of the largest, again, migration patterns of people whose families may have left the South and went to New York or Chicago, but also who are returning back to the South in this moment in search of not just a regrounding in their roots and ancestry, also in pursuit of a you know, lower cost to live it and a slower lifestyle. And so I would say, Eljoy, the opportunities that, that are there Are really, really rich. I start from a place that up from the place that no community is a monolith. We have to make no assumptions about that 40 percent, for example, of the black electorate of, of the electorate in Mississippi being black, assuming that they want to solve all their problems the same way. But I think that there we can start from a place that we want to create a shared vision where our children and the next generation of 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 our families can live and thrive, and and I think there's a way to do that, and the opportunity to do that, uniting uniting across movements, and really building strong coalitions of unity.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. I'm gonna take a break here because then I want to get into Roe, and I want to get into what Emily's list is working on going into the next cycle. You know, I know I threw a curveball there, but I you know I know you're more than capable <laughs> of engaging <laughs> in the conversation. So we'll take a quick break here, and then we'll come back with LaFonza Butler, who's the president of Emily's List. Stay tuned. the all the problems, all the think that you must do to start in this world like when the t-shirt school boy and school girl come together who is the t-shirt i go let you know who is the t-shirt welcome back to sunday civics at the front know. of the class with me is lafonza butler who is the president of emily's list and has a long history of organizing and political engagement and particularly empowering women And also in the labor movement, which we'll get to a bit later. But LaFonza, it's been one year or just over one year since the overturn of Roe v. Wade. And, you know, we are seeing a lot happening. We're seeing some states doubling down and doing, you know, very restrictive laws that put women and others in danger. We're seeing states like my own and here in New York that are doubling down in protections. And just just this week we launched an ERA amendment here in the state of New York to further address not only reproductive justice access but also basic civil rights there. And then we're also seeing candidates, you know, we saw through the midterms a a number of candidates won because of their fight and saying that I want to go to state legislatures or to Congress or where have you in order to continue to fight this. So, you know, What do you believe is the way forward, not only nationally, but particularly in states where there is this further restriction and how we can make sure that people are protected, healthy and safe in this environment?
0: It's a good question. The the way forward, quite simply, Eljoy, in my opinion, is to fight. And I don't know how to put it any more plain or or simple. This is an extreme right wing that is bound and determined to take away the fundamental freedoms of the pe- of people in this country. And and I fully believe that there is a majority of people in this country who are just determined to not have that be the case. You talk about states like New York and leaders like Governor Hochul, or, you know, you talked at the top of the call about the the coastal states, Governor Newsom, and, and his leadership in California and the advancement of a constitutional amendment last last November to enshrine abortion access in 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 the state constitution of of California. You know, you see At every level of government, executive executive offices, legislatures, even and judiciaries at the state and federal level. There are states, it's important that your listeners know that there are state supreme courts that are elected, that are making, that are supporting these laws that are being passed. We know that the overturning of Roe happened at the U.S., Supreme Court. We know that the Republicans are looking to pass a federal, a national ban at the federal level. We also know that governors like Ron DeSantis, to your point around doubling down in Florida, have gone from a 15-week restriction to now a six-week restriction when women don't even know that they're that they're pregnant. And so, look, I think it, what is important, and I think declarative at Emily's list is knowing that we have. Be, have to be on, the, on our front feet in this fight to protect abortion access and reproductive freedom at every level of the ballot, not just the top of the ticket, but we really need to be encouraging the listeners as they get their ballots and get prepared to vote next November to think about voting from the bottom up as opposed to the top down, finishing those ballots and understanding that 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 at every level of government we are putting people in office who will dictate the rules of our lives and that is so incredibly important for us to understand and appreciate so every level of the ballot is an important one and we have got to to stay in the fight and the the pathway forward has to be in addition to to fighting from a declarative space, then let's get to the strategy and the tactics. We've got to elect pro-choice majorities in states across the country. And we have to utilize every tool at our disposal to restore reproductive access. There are activists and organizers on the ground in states like Ohio and Florida who are gathering signatures for ballot measures to put the question in front of voters directly as we saw happen in Kansas and California and Vermont and Kentucky and Montana just last cycle. And so it is in the hands of the individual voter to make clear the will of the majority of the American people that government should not be intervening intervening with the decisions that we make about our own bodies, point blank, period. Yeah. You
1: know, one of the most frequent questions that I get is how do you convince people to participate when there is this general apathy that, you know, powers be going to do what they want to do anyway. And so what does it matter of my voice being added, my vote being added, when they're just going to figure a way (laughs) of how to do this anyway. This is one of the most frequent questions I get, not only on the street, but also from people who are trying to volunteer and engage people. You know, that's a, a real, that apathetic sentiment is something that doesn't come for somebody who just, you know, it's experience has made them that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so how do you suggest to folks what do they adopt? What language do they use? How do they engage in order to break through?
0: Yeah, I look, I think I I too encounter that question on so many levels and in so many areas. The experience and expectation that the powers that be are are going to do what they what they do. And you know my initial engagement, really, and response really is, well, that will always be the case if we don't do anything different. And I I can appreciate and and I will never deny the truth of that experience that it can feel as if the casting of one ballot just does not matter, and you know that people are gonna that whoever is elected is just gonna go and play by the same old rules. But then I I know. That there are so many examples where you know candidates win by the slimmest of majorities and have utilized those spaces and opportunities of leadership to be voices for the constituents that that put them there, and there are you know countless examples where that just is the case. Then a space of of candidates supported by Emily, unless you look at a, a, a leader like you know Lauren Underwood or Johanna Hayes who don't represent majority minority districts but who are unrelenting in their leadership on behalf of all communities represented in their district black brown white and everything in between and at the same time are uncompromising in their leadership on issues specific to black women and black families in this country look at what Lauren Underwood is doing relative to black maternal health and the broader maternal health crisis raising to the national debate the fate of black women in this country being three times more likely to die than white women in childbirth and and that wouldn't you know, a lot of that wouldn't happen but for Black leaders being at the table, like a Lauren Underwood or a Terry Sewell and their leadership on the Maternal Health Caucus or Barbara Lee and her leadership on the Abortion Caucus and Congress. And, you know, I, I think that we have to not only engage apathy with facts, Joy. we also have to engage apathy with inspiration. And, and in my opinion, and from, I know from, from my own self, it's one thing to to try to make me angry it's another thing to inspire me to action for me to believe what is possible despite what I have seen and I know for for, for me that inspiration comes from a a deep responsibility to to my daughter and to you know her friends and the next generation of folks who are going to be coming after me and do I want them to come into their adult lives believing that I didn't do everything I could to make it different. Even if my, you know, even even if I remain of the opinion that my one vote won't matter, I've got to be able to say, look my daughter in the eye and be able to say that I did everything I could. And that means including adding my one vote.
1: I love that. Inspiring people and i would say also i know that some folks believe empowerment only comes from within but also empowering people with knowledge about how their vote and their actions contribute to the short term goal the long term goal right and you know making them a part of it gives some responsibility you know that people take on you know once you you help them to help them to see that and certainly beating back and fighting against these restrictions on body autonomy, on reproductive justice, is there is no short fix. (laughs) You know, there, you know, I mean, because it wasn't a short fix to get where we are, right? It was part of someone's long, you know, a a group of people's long-term strategy over generations in order to get to where we are. And so there is not going to be you know, one election, one fix that is going to get us back on track and ha- and being realistic with people about that and about how it fits into, I think is really, really important because, you know, people promise the sky is just like, we gotta vote for Biden and then we just air- we're gonna get reparations and like we're gonna you're gonna be able to have babies when you want. To. And just like we're so when people's immediate lives aren't changed, sure. you know, when their tr- lives aren't changed yeah. immediately, they're like, you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, where's my 40 acres and my baby? So you have to make sure that we're engaging people in that way and, and, and being honest, but also, you know, letting them know how they fit, you know, into that both short term and, and long term strategy from that standpoint. I'm going to take my last break and now I want to talk about women. All right. I want to talk about how we are electing women, how women lead in our political spaces, and what we can look forward to in this landscape going into another national election cycle and what we should be looking out for, who we should be looking out for, and supporting as we go forward. So we'll take a last break here and come right back. How can it be that you love- 2024 is going to be a really big year again. You know, it's like nonstop news of all of the elections and, you know, Biden and people hating on all of the candidates and then people being tired of politics, but then saying this is the most important election of our lifetimes. I know. I know. We say it all the time. We we literally say it all the time. It's in the ads, it's in the text messages you're going to get and all that kind of stuff. But it really is. It really is. Every election is because the people we are electing, whether it be at the top of the ticket, i.e. the president of the United States, or as LaFonza, our guest, has mentioned, whether they be all the way down at the the bottom of the ballot and they be state Supreme Court justices or civil court judges. We here in New York, we had a municipal election and the turnout was abysmal. I mean, in some Polling sites where at seven o'clock there had only been forty-four people voting, right? And you know, there's this argument that oh well, it was city council races; all of the city council wasn't being challenged, and it was just only judges on the ballot. Hello, (laughs) those only judges are making decisions that can impact our lives on a daily basis. And the further you go down the ballots of any ballot that you're voting on the closer they are to you making decisions about your life on a daily basis, from the taxes you pay, your clean air, to, I don't know, if you have uh, reproductive rights. <laughs> and so our guest, LaFonza Butler, who is the president of EMILY's List, EMILY's List is doing a lot, LaFonza, leading up to 2024. You you, you getting a break? This before before the onslaught. I mean, I, what does August look like for you? You rested? You and the babies going somewhere? <laughs> because this next cycle is going to be crazy.
0: Mm. Eljoy, you just talked with us about the fact that there is no rest for the weary. Yeah, <laughs> uh, because you know, there's, there's elections happening all the time and, and everything is at stake. We can't say though. To our community, as we were just talking about, we can't say that to our community, that it's the most important election of our lifetime and then be taking breaks. So, no, I am not (laughs) taking breaks. We are at Emily's List. You know, we are, as you noted, the largest political resource for women in politics. And, you know, our work is. Is never ending, right? In partnership with so many organizations across the country, like Higher Heights, like the Collective PAC, like Black Cat, we have. There is there is so much work to be done in places like New York, in states like Virginia that are voting right now. Virginia elections are ju- the Virginia primary elections are just a week behind us, behind this conversation, and so there is. There, there are no more off years. It's only. It's all on and it's all on all the time because everything is at stake and and we are at MLS are acting like or acting like accordingly.
1: Yeah. You know, as I said, all of us always talk about how this one is the most important one. I happen to think that, you know, here in New York, when we just did municipal elections, like that's going to be really big because, you know, for you locally, some of, some of our states and some of our cities are already experiencing this, this budget crunch Mm -hmm. because there wasn't this, you know, the money from the federal government following COVID is like gone. And so then now cities and counties have to deal with huge budget gaps. Also people shifting and moving also changes, you know, tax base and, Things of that nature. So those local elections next year and the year into tw- in twenty twenty five are gonna be really important because that budget <laughs> for twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five in your local communities is gonna. I mean, it's going to really determine the trajectory of your community, right? Mm-hmm. Your access and this is, you know, my tinfoil hat. <laughs> this is why you're seeing this these conversations about whether or not states should be funding education and healthcare and sort of all that stuff cuz those are big ticket items in state budgets and local budgets and people try to you know get it off they get it off they they profit and loss statement <laughs> I'm just saying as in, I don't know if you see a trend of like public education not being public education but like being private education cuz mm-hmm. like do we really need to provide education mm-hmm. or not? Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: so this is why those I elect- mean look at you have you have nominees right now talking about eliminating the Department of Education right and so yeah I mean you cannot be speaking the whole truth at a more important time this is a serious conversation
1: yeah yeah I mean and then you see this week as we know the big decision that I'm sure like me you expected the decision on this in terms of affirmative action from the Supreme Court Again, another long-term <laughs> like strategy being played out. But I don't think it is, any of this is by accident, right? It is all trying to sort of pull back, claw back, you know, into this restrictive. battle. It's always amazing to me, you know, if you were like, we want to go back to this, you know, period where only <laughs> straight white men <laughs> were the ones in power. That's what mm-hmm. they're trying to get back to. And the people who sort of enabled this I'm just like, do you understand where you're trying to go back to? Because I don't know what you do. <laughs> I think you just got inspired to do something like to, to fight against your own interests from that standpoint. But how do we make sure we are showing up for women candidates in this landscape? Because there is going to be this onslaught. And we're going to have to, as you, you mentioned, make sure we have our go-kit ready. And that go-kit needs to include contributions. That go-kit needs to include doing some texting, some phone banking. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how are we making sure that we are prepared to support, which I hope will be another unprecedented election of women running in this
0: cycle? Yeah, it's a great... You you said a, you said a whole lot there, LJWN. <laughs> I'm like I don't want to answer that question right now. Let me talk about this other thing. But like, <laughs> since we are about it all, we are at the front of the class, since we are at the front of the class, we want to like use our time at the lecture to make sure that we are bringing our community on this learning journey with us. And I think to to fully understand the long term strategy that that there has been to shift the tables of power in one specific direction. I think we need only remind ourselves or, or fam- get ourselves familiar with what there is in the sort of history of our political discourse as a nation referred to as the Lewis Powell memo. You, you might remember this from your civics, civics class, Eljoy, but it is the I, the written plan literally it is called a corporate blueprint to dominate democracy it was written in 1971 to the us chamber of commerce it was a deliberate plan to align infrastructures to create corporate domination of the american democracy and it is all about creating infrastructure to Get vote to, to align resources to tip the scales in the interests that are not the interest of individual American workers and, and, and families. And so to, you said this earlier, Eljoy, you said we didn't get here in overnight and we're not going to get out of here overnight. I think to, in order to develop our true go kit, we've got to appropriately calibrate expectations so that we are looking not just for immediate gratification, but that we are fighting a, and developing long, re, that we're requiring long term strategies and fight and understand clearly that we're fighting long term battles. And in front of us right now is the opportunity to prepare for the elections that are right in front of us, whether you're in a state that is voting in 2023 or you're joining the rest of the nation in voting in 2024, there are some incredible women who are doing, you know, amazing work to improve the lives of people all over this country, whether and and they need our support. If we want to change the face of American politics we have to have that go kit ready. We are talking about leaders like Lisa Blunt Rochester, who tells who has an incredibly inspiring story to connect to that reach that really is shows up in how she presents and how she governs as a leader. Lisa Blunt Rochester is running for the U.S. Senate in the state from the state of Delaware. We have women, in my opinion, like like Angela brooks in Maryland who is running to also for the U.S. Senate to be a partner with Governor Westmore to really change the face of power and politics in the in the state of Maryland. All who can make an incredible difference. But we can't leave behind Eljoy to our earlier conversation, those states in the South that that's I think the beachhead in so many ways to the kinds of rights and freedoms that we have got to continue to fight for and stand for as as a nation and around the globe. Whether we're talking about voting rights or we're talking about reproductive freedoms, we're talking about protections of the LGBTQ plus community. It is, I think, incumbent upon us to not leave behind such huge populations who share our values in states like North Carolina and Georgia and finishing the work that we have to do in Georgia. But we've got to be willing to put it all on the table. And everybody doesn't have a whole lot of money to give. but Everybody can give something. These women start behind in terms of being able to raise the kind of money to combat those corporate powers that want to elect their person to continue to take over American democracy, democracy. And so, if we've got a little bit to give, I want us to make sure that we put our little bit in our go kit. If we've got a little bit of time to to texting voters or making phone calls or knocking on doors, we know that there's a lot going on in life. We've got to restore our kids education educational learning and opportunities, the gaps that were created during the pandemic and the work that is required to to get them where they that where they need to be. There's a lot going on in life. And if we got a little bit of time, even if it's an hour a week that we can dedicate to learning about new candidates that we can dedicate to engaging and being a volunteer with an organization in our communities, but making a real meaningful commitment of time in our goal kit, I think that is going to be incredibly important. And we've got to not be silent, Joy. I think just an important point that I wanted to make here when it relates to electing women to office. So often there are, we see white men who will, you know, lose an election and come back and run again for the next one. And everybody is cheering them on for running uh, again and going and doing it twice. And then, you know, we they they get to fail forward and everybody thinks that they are great. But when it comes to women who are running for office, there is a very different measure. There's a very different measure. And even if we are, you know, diligently running and, and doing and are fully committed to the kind of progressive agenda that would advance the, over, the country overall. And we fall short. It is quit. We are, you know, we're quick to say, oh, it, she didn't, it wasn't her turn or she didn't, she didn't win the last time. So let's go get somebody else. We've got to raise our voice and be able to support these women, even in what may feel like a, what is a loss. Um, Val Demings didn't win the first time she ran for office, but man, she made an amazing congresswoman. And, and so we've got to continue to sort of stay in the fight and raise our voice and not be silent when, our, when women are running for office and doing the thing that puts their family at danger, that opens them up for a different kind of criticism. We've never heard the press, the American press, talk about what kind of headphones The vice president of the United States uses until Kamala Harris became the vice president of the United States. Let's not be silent. Let's make sure that we have these women's back and we do the work and we pack our go kits because this is and will forever be the most important election of our lifetime.
1: Yeah. Just before we go, I want to ask this question from our interns who asked, you know, the work that you have done supporting women in politics. Have you noticed the change uh, what what is it has been the change of the landscape since you have been supporting women in politics to elected office or even in terms mm-hmm. of policy and legislation?
0: you know it's a I appreciate the question. I won't talk about my career my 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 time here at Emily's list. I'll talk about an experience that I had in a in a prior professional career, I worked in the labor movement, as Eljoy noted, for nearly 20 years. A body of work, I represented home care, domestic workers, and nursing home workers across the state of California. And we had the opportunity to support a first-time candidate by the name of Holly Mitchell when she was running for state legislature. Holly Mitchell went on to be the help California be the first state to pass the Crown Act. She went on to be the first Black woman in the California State Senate to chair the budget committee of the fifth largest economy in the world. She is now the supervisor for Los Angeles County, representing more than two million Angelenos in the county of L.A., And is leading on not only issues like childcare and childcare affordability, not only on issues like COVID and access, equitable access to to vaccines, but she's also leading on what issues like the county's responsibility and obligation to continue to ensure that abortion access remains equitable across the county of Los Angeles, given its vast diversity. And so have I seen a difference? Can I I know that I have lived a life that has really contributed to a meaningful difference, making a meaningful difference in this country. You look at, and if I fast forward to my time here at Emily's List, there are four women that are leading the budget discussions in Congress today. On the Democratic side, there is Patty Murray on the Senate, who is leading appropriations. As, and there is on the House side, Rosa DeLauro, who is also the min- minority leader on the House side. Those two women got their start with Emily's List. Patty Murray, I will remind you, was one of the candidates in 1992 who was a part of the largest class of women. And so it is making an incredible difference, the work that we are doing to support women. I think their leadership has has just made a remarkable difference and their presence, I think, is being felt across the country.
1: Lafonza, I want to thank you so much for making time. We could continue talking. <laughs> I, I think they will cut me off on the radio at some point. Um, because There's so much that we can continue to talk about. And you just reminded me that, yes, I'm aware of the Lawrence Memo. It's just like, oh, I should talk. I should I should bring that to the front of class. That's yes. my <laughs> We didn't do a whole show about that. And talk a little bit <laughs> about that. Because then you can tie, like, Citizens United and all of that. Like, you can tie marriage
0: Foundation. Foundation and brothers, and Foundation and all, that, like, all of that. It. It's I, laid out right there, Eljoy.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: I forgot about
1: that. It's exactly like, Right. And even when I'm talking about, like, this is a plan, this is a coordinated strategy, and people are like, oh, I just feel that way. And I'm like, I no, you know y'all it. think it's a tinfoil hat. But it's really, not. like, they're they're not not town. Town. it's public, it's known, it's happening, <laughs> like, it's not like, you know, so when they're saying they, and I know, probably like me, I, I hate when people be like, you know, they don't let us, and you know, they, I was like, I believe in naming and shit, like, just name them, if you're saying they, who is they? <laughs> who is they doing that? And so maybe we'll do a show and we'll, and we'll talk about who is they. And sort of lay out that detail because this is all a plan strategy. This is why I'm telling you on the, pub- the public education piece. Don't be surprised in 10 years when it's no, no when states and the government is no longer responsible for public education is part of a plan because people want to get rid of it. <laughs> so, the charter schools are part of that plan. So you don't have to. Act- okay, wait, Lafonta. Thank you so much.
0: Yes, thank you. <laughs> for two. I, I appreciate being at the front of the class uh, I it was indeed an honor I appreciate <laughs> it hopefully happy to be come back
1: no problem and I look forward to seeing you in these streets as we continue to fight
0: it's um, hot out there
1: yes yes and so those of you who are listening thank you so much for listening make sure you get prepared dust, dust off the tools of your go kits because there is time to go and so we need you to be sharp, well-rested, and continue to fight. Thank you so much for listening to Sunday Civics. We'll be back next Sunday with more civic education that you can use to take action. Thank you. It's who we are.